Amen, amen. Man, don't you love parent commissioning? I love it. There's uh, such a brightness in their eyes. Uh, like they actually got a good night's sleep last night, which is, we all know it's probably not true, but such uh, potential, such opportunity, such a uh, desire to do things right in the eyes of God. I love parent commissioning Sundays. For the rest of us, we know that this week has been a week filled with sugar crashes. I am not feeling at the top of my parenting game. But as we open to Ephesians 6 this morning, uh, the relationship instructions that Paul gives the church continue. And he moves on to the topic of parent and child relationships. And, you know, as we open today, let's acknowledge parenting is hard. Parenting is difficult. Parenting is not for the faint of heart. And I think there are some experiences that we all share. And so let's have a little fun before we dive into the hard. Uh, anybody feel like this in the morning? It's time to gear up. The battle has begun. Or uh, how about this one? I personally used to think I was an extrovert, and then I lived with five other people, and suddenly I'm like, maybe I was just an only child. <laughs> There's never a time when you're alone, even when you'd really like to be alone. Uh, how about this one? Yeah, like five times yesterday. Your kids take after you in ways you love and ways you don't. Uh, what about this one? <laughs> My wife is an excellent cook, truly. But nothing drops the confidence like a kid who's like complaining over this gourmet. Can't let it get to you. Parenting's hard. But man. It is so, so good. We can laugh about some of these things. We can laugh about the difficulties. But every second that you invest, every minute that you spend, every drop of energy that you exert is absolutely worth it. And so let's not let our focus on how hard it is allow us to forget what a lofty, and high, good calling it is. Lord says children are a blessing. Now, as we get into some of these things, I recognize that for some of you, this is a really difficult topic. Maybe you don't have kids and you've wanted kids. Maybe it didn't happen the way that you wanted it to, and the reality is for my wife and I, uh, some of the most painful moments we've ever experienced were in the days and weeks following a miscarriage. Wondering why, what we could have done. Some of you uh, don't have kids, aren't married, don't expect to have kids. You're like 17 steps away from that. And so the idea of bringing up parenting is like, well, I get to tune out and sleep this morning. Let me encourage you this. Paul is writing this letter to a body. Now, he addresses the specific parent-child relationship, but he's writing it to a body, and you are part of a body. And so even if this morning as we get into parent and child, you're like, well, I am not a parent. You probably are a child. <laughs> Slow burn this morning. And recognize that you are a part of this body. And if Paul wrote it to a body and you're a part of this body, it is good for your body to hear what Paul has to say this morning. 
If you ever talk to a parent about parenting, most parents feel like they're failing. They're doing a bad job. They're not doing enough. They're not good enough. They don't have what, they, what it takes. They don't have what they need. And I recognize that in opening up to this, some of you are going to be there this morning. If I can just encourage you. It's a little bit like, <laughs> evaluating your parenting is a little bit like uh, sticking a knife in the middle of brownies that are halfway done. Except this one takes 25 years to bake. And so if you're like, man, I don't have it, I'm not there yet, I look at my kids and they're still a mess, recognize there's still time. They're still in progress. And if we're honest, so are you. So let's pray. Lord, as we dive into this, we're going to be challenged by truth from your word. And it is so good. Help us to see it. Help us to be convicted by it. Lord, help us to make disciples in our home. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're a parent in the room, let me ask you this. How do you honestly evaluate your parenting? What's the target? What are you after? What are you trying to accomplish? What do you really want? for your children, and more importantly, what's gonna cultivate it? We're gonna start right here. The target for a healthy home, make disciples. Christ-following parents must create an environment that is conducive to following Christ. If we're gonna look at a spiritually healthy home, we have to know that the target is to create an environment where seeds of the gospel can be planted and the Lord can bring the fruit. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter six if you're not there. Before we even jump into parent and children, recognize that we've had five chapters of this. So when I ask the question and when we talk this morning about the factors of a healthy home from Ephesians, we have to start here. Number one, the healthy home is filled with Christ-centered people. Where do I get that? <laughs> chapters one through five. It's basically the churchiest thing I could ever say, but it's completely accurate. And I want you to look at this progression. Chapters one through three are who we are in Christ. Chapter four starts to make that turn towards how I ought to live in Christ. Chapter five says now how we ought to live together. And he says this in chapter five, verse 12. If you have your Bibles open, just look across the page. Chapter five, verse 12, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. Starting to see these foundational building blocks. Chapter 5, verse 17, walk not as unwise, but as wise. Verse 18, be filled by the Spirit. And listen, if you're going to raise kids, <laughs> be filled by the Spirit. Verse 21, now how we ought to live in community with one another, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Verse 33, love your wife and respect your husband. And now, verses 6, 1 through 4, children... Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a pro promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. The healthy home is filled with Christ-centered people. We have to start there. Uh, a couple years back, uh, Indiana had a license plate that said, Kids First. Anybody remember that? 
And it was for a worthy cause. I think it was something about uh, um, uh, raising funds to prevent child abuse, and that is an absolutely worthy cause. But in promoting a worthy cause, they got the message wrong. It's not kids first. Sorry, bro. It's not kids first. It's God first. Husband, wife, second. And then kids. And if you don't have one and two, let me put it another way. If you feel like your parenting is causing your home to struggle and crumble, the best place to begin is with your foundation in Jesus Christ. Go back there. Once that is white hot, then make sure your marriage is strong. Once that is uh, strong and you've got a great foundation that's healthy and prioritized, then move on to diagnose your parenting. Parenting will crush a divided marriage and it will distract and discourage an already weak faith. Christ first, Christ always, Christ at center, full stop. We could end right there. But thankfully, Paul does not. The second factor of a healthy home is this. Number one is a healthy home is filled with Christ-centered people. Get that right. Number two, the healthy home is an environment of obedience. Children, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I recognize that most of the children are not in the room right now, but some of them are. And there's this weird dynamic of Paul is addressing children, but I'm addressing not children and also children. And uh, so basically, uh, if you live at home and your parents foot the bills, Paul's talking to you. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. All right, so if you have kids at home and you're footing the bill, parents, that's you. Everyone say amen. amen. <laughs> Children, obey your parents in the Lord. You see that? He says, in the Lord. We're going to see that again in verse 4, but he says, in Christ, out of reverence for Christ, because of Jesus Christ. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. It's right and righteous and good in the eyes of God to be under the authority and protection and the guidance and guardrails that come from obedience. Sometimes feels awful, but it's always good. I want to bring out another thing. You recognize that, that Paul is addressing children. Parents in the room recognize that when they were gathered together and Paul was reading this letter, that they were hearing all of it up to that point where they were deliberately and explicitly addressed. I want to challenge you that as you think about that, recognize that your children, in some ways, regardless of age, are capable of handling the full counsel of God's word. It's not as if they get a smaller little mini Holy Spirit. They get the entirety of the Holy Spirit if they are in Christ. And so recognize that as Paul has given us this instruction, your children can hear it. But there's something really, really good and really, really sweet attached to that. It's not just obey your parents. Done. Do it. He continues verse 2. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. It's a blessing-filled command. 
that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. There is a connection between a child, a student, a teenager's obedience to his or her parents and the trajectory of their lives. Obedience brings self-control, which breeds healthy, sustainable living. Disobedience breeds self-indulgence, which brings unhealthy, compulsive living. And so when Paul says, obey your parents in the Lord, because we all know we need Jesus to do this command... And then he says, it's right. He's saying, listen, it is right in the eyes of God that you do this, but that's not it. It doesn't stop there. There is a blessing that flows to the child that obeys. But sometimes we don't see that blessing until much, much later. Teenagers, older elementary kids who happen to be in the room, let me just kind of talk to you for a minute. I know your parents are silently nudging you in the ribs. So you hear it? It's not just me. Oh, wait. Sorry, I don't know. You, you all don't sound that way. I don't know why I just said that. You're all loving and kind. I know that. Recognize that the blessing that flows from obedience to your parents is good for you. That the way God has ordained this whole thing is that when you do this, you are under the authority and protection of God's established household. And now I know that none of you have ever done anything stupid. But just imagine for a second that you had done something stupid, that you had at one point in your life disobeyed your parents. And that in doing so, maybe you experienced a consequence that came from that. Think about that. All of the rest of you who are older can point back to that consequence and to recognize that that consequence wouldn't have come to you if you had just simply obeyed your parents. I was thinking about this this week, and I did a lot of stupid stuff. I could, I mean, it could be up here all day just describing the stupid, foolish decisions I made when I was disobeying my parents. The one that comes to mind most clearly uh, is, uh, okay, so I was, uh, got my license very early. I was like 15 and a half. Uh, and in Ohio, where I grew up, if you got two tickets before the age of 18, you had your license suspended for 90 days. And if you got three tickets, you had your license suspended for a year. Now, all I'm going to say is I did not have my license suspended for a year. I like to go fast. My dad said, don't go fast. Obey the speed limit. That's why it's there. And I ignored him and I got two tickets. And then you can imagine how fun it was to have your dad as a 17-year-old guy drive you to work. Hey, I want to go on a date tonight. Can you drive? <laughs> now, that's silly. but And that was thankfully only a 90-day consequence, but it... If I had just listened to my parents and obeyed, how much pain would have I avoided? And it's not just with driving. It's a good and a gracious command. Children, students, teenagers, young adults that are still living at home, no one wants you to end up in the ditch. It's worth obeying. 
So kids obey even if you don't get it, and especially when you don't get it because you'll be in a safe place. Now parents, expect obedience in your home. Because when you're teaching your kids to obey, you're not just protecting them, you're teaching them that they're under authority. You're teaching them how to say no to themselves. And you're teaching that, that someone cares enough about them to give them limits. Warren Wearsby suggested that if we were to rewrite this verse according to our modern sensibilities, it might say something like this. Parents, obey your children, for this will bring them happiness and bring peace to the home. How's that working out? It's completely false. It sounds right, and sometimes we believe it, but it doesn't work. It doesn't bring happiness, and it certainly does not bring peace. Some of the reasons that we do this is because my kid is happy, I feel like I'm doing a good job. The point of being a parent is not to feel like you're doing a good job. The point of being a parent is to raise a child who loves and honors the Lord. It's an ungodly view. If you are a parent, you are the authority. Everyone has an authority. God has ordained that this one is you. You are the authority, but mm, some of us are like, yeah, I'm the authority. Remember that you also are not God. In the 1960s, this uh, woman uh, uh, psychologist by the name of Diane Baumrind uh, from UC Berkeley uh, did a study and she described various parenting styles. It was really insightful for me. Uh, and uh, some of these styles are based on this dynamic between demanding and undemanding and then responsive and unresponsive. And so I want to throw this up here, and we're going to talk about this. Remember, this isn't the word of God, but I think it's helpful insight into the patterns that we can fall into. When you look at this, the categorization, uh, the first is uh, that of an authoritarian. High expectations, very demanding. You need to obey. High discipline, but low flexibility. Not a lot of opportunity, not very responsive. That's the way it is. That's the way it goes. My house, my rules. It's a fairly arrogant way to say something that maybe God is commanding, but uh, little to no dialogue, no interaction, just do it this way because I said so, done, no, end of conversation. Let's skip down to the third one here is the permissive parenting. This is low expectations. Yeah, okay, great. That makes you happy, go do that. If you want to do that, that's fine. Low or inconsistent discipline. Sometimes it's like, wow, I want to get in trouble for that. I didn't get in trouble for that last week. Or I don't want to get in trouble for anything. Maybe there's dialogue, but it's generally about keeping the kid happy. The fourth here is it's uninvolved. There's no expectations, no discipline, no dialogue. Maybe you're not even there. There's this interesting dynamic in the middle between having high expectations and being demanding, but also being responsive. What she would describe as authoritative parenting. High expectations, clear discipline, but they're tailored for each unique child, and there's lots of dialogue happening along the way. Now again, these are helpful styles, but I, I kind of want to go a step further and kind of show you a little bit of what God convicted me this week, a little bit of insight from Ephesians. With authoritarian style of parenting, essentially what you're saying is, do what I say, I am your God. 
But with a permissive style of parenting, do what you want. You are your own God. With an uninvolved parent, do whatever you want. I'm busy. But I think what God is calling us to in this passage when he says, children, obey your parents, honor your father and mother, it'll go well with you in the land. What he's calling us to is this idea of let us do what Christ commands. He is our God. A healthy parent is an authority without being a dictator. A healthy parent is, sets high expectations but helps a child get there and gives clear discipline, understandable discipline, explained discipline when those expectations aren't met. They tailor their response to each child. Now you can imagine what would happen in your home if these, if you're a parent but you're not aligned, kids got whiplash. You are their authority. But Paul doesn't end there. Once again, he gives us more that I think we desperately need. Don't miss this next part because the manner matters. Verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. The NIV says, do not exasperate them. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I feel picked on. And rightfully so. As we saw last week, in, in many ways, the husband goes first in marriage, right? And as Paul is describing, in so many ways, the father goes first in the home. And I think this is a command for fathers, do this, like this, trust me. But I also think that it is a command through fathers. Let this be the design and the dynamic in your home. And I recognize that in our uh, world, there are many uh, single moms, and you may be in this spot going, I don't know. He's saying this to all of us. Fathers go first, recognize that, but for any authority in the home, you can lead out in this way. The manner matters because, number three, the healthy home is an environment of nourishment. Do you see how Paul is describing the environment? Children are not provoked or frustrated. They're not exasperated, but they're invited into a faith development by loving, patient parents, an environment of nourishment. The word bring up, if you want to circle that in your Bible, underline it, circle it, put a star by it, highlight it, whatever you do. The word uh, uh, bring up there in 6.4 is the exact same word used in chapter 5, verse 29. So again, look back just a minute. Look right over the, the margin if you've got it. Look up a paragraph, wherever it is. It says, for no one, this is uh, Paul talking about the, the husband here and the way that we ought to love our wife. No one ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes it. That's the same word, this idea of nourishment. And I think this is the linchpin. This is the hinge, the fulcrum, the, the halfway point of uh, verse 4. Paul is saying, don't do this, but instead, nourish your children in the Lord through this 
and this. Don't provoke them, but nourish them in the Lord by discipline and instruction. Because the manner matters. Every command that has come before this, uh, every command in all of scripture that tells us how we ought to interact with one another, that applies to you and your children. When it says we ought to be loving, we ought to be caring, we ought to bear one another's burdens, we ought to, uh, uh, the whole manner, be patient, all of that. That doesn't get put aside just because they're under the age of 18. We must forgive, we must bear with, we must be patient, we must be kind and loving. It says in James, quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Our ungodly anger at our children does not produce spiritual transformation. Nourish, not provoke. The idea that Paul is kind of teasing out with this, with provoke, is to act in such a way, to act in an ungodly way, that your children are angered or browbeaten or discouraged. If you think back to your own uh, life as a child, I'm guessing that there are some circumstances where you're like, that, I felt that. And parents, we ought to be sensitive to that. There are tears of regret and sadness, but there are tears that are caused by the behavior of their father. There's disappointment and there's discouragement at how something went. I didn't get a good grade. I didn't make the basketball team, but uh, there is discouragement that is caused by their mother. There is anger which is unrighteous and rebellious against God. And then there is anger that has been stoked by my unrighteousness. In his book, uh, Heart of Anger, Lou Priolo rightly starts off the evaluation of this heart of anger in children by evaluating the parents. Uh, he lists 25. <laughs> I don't think I can only handle like seven. So uh, let's look at those ways parents provoke their children to anger. First thing he says provokes a child to anger is lack of marital harmony. That creates a lack of security, a shifting foundation, a wonder of what's my family going to look like in a year from now. Modeling sinful anger. They do what you do. Establishing and maintaining a child-centric home. Now it feels like that should let a child be happy. I get what I want. I'm the most important but as we've already kind of said, when you do that, you're establishing them as little gods. And you know what happens when little gods get angry? When the little gods don't get what they want? You get wrath. Not admitting when you're wrong. <laughs> My wife and I always joke that every parent owes their first child an apology. It's just a blanket rule. The reality is we all owe our children all the apologies. I'm wrong a lot. When's the last time you went and asked for forgiveness from your child? I was wrong in that. I shouldn't have done it that way. I'm asking you to honor the Lord, and in that moment, I was not honoring the Lord. Being inconsistent with discipline, either between the parents 
Oh man, they know how to play, don't they? Well, let's see, on this topic, dad will say yes, but on this topic, mom will say yes. Your kids are as smart as you are, just trust me. Or inconsistent between this week and last week. Mom's stressed, dad's stressed, dad's having a hard day at work, and so the hammer came down. But last week he was happy and I did the same thing. Like, that provokes anger. Showing favoritism. <laughs> Never ask a parent whose child is their favorite. Never show a child. Don't have favorites. Controlling and overbearing behavior. Uh, in our culture, it's called helicoptering. That we want what's best. And I believe that. But what you're actually showing them is you don't believe that they're capable. And it's bound to bring out anger. See, we're not supposed to be like that. Rather, we are to nourish them. To bring them up and bring them along. When we eat food, we're recognizing the, the nutritional value and we recognize that we are nourishing our bodies. When you feed your children, you recognize the nutritional value and that they're nourishing their bodies. And most of us, most of us feed our kids every day. Some of us even feed our kids multiple times a day. Now imagine, have you fed your kids spiritually? Have you given them nourishment? What, is, what even is spiritually nutritious? Paul gives us that answer. The answer is discipline and instruction. The food that your kid needs is discipline and instruction, teaching and training. Someone said it many years ago, and I have uh, said it a lot. You're either training your kid or your kid's training you. Three months old, three years old, 13 years old. Discipline is learning through correction. Not like that, like this instead. Discipline is the not like this part of the equation. Instruction is the instead like that part of the equation. The reality is uh, <laughs> between Hebrews 12, Proverbs 13, there are so many places and so many good resources that instruct on the art of discipline. And uh, honestly, we would be here all day if I went into all the details of that. It's just beyond the scope of what we're able to cover today. I can't help you be good at discipline, but I can say that Paul says in this verse that you ought to get good at discipline. Just four things really quickly. Discipline must be targeted at the heart. It's easiest to target behavior, but behavior is not what Jesus Christ is after. In you or in your kids, so target it at the heart. In love and in, not in anger, which is also super difficult when your kids not a bring for the sixth time in a row and just want Not that my kids would ever do that. It's consistently applied, each parent, every circumstance, and it recognizes the difference in each child. See, when your toddler throws a fit, which will happen and does happen, he's either learning that emotional outbursts get me what I want, or he's learning that in that moment, mom and dad will comfort me 
What's he learning? <clears throat> Tell you a story. So uh, I, I have four kids, 14, 12, 10, and 8. It's wild, man. And uh, when our oldest was, was very little, uh, uh, there's there's this moment where uh, he dug his feet in at dinner, and I dug my feet in at dinner, and we're like, we're gonna see who wins this one. Uh, my wife had made dinner; uh, he, she had made spaghetti, and uh, he didn't want anything to do with any of it. And so I put just the tiny—I mean, like the tiniest, probably two, two and a half—the tiniest little piece of spaghetti on the on the spoon. And you gotta eat this, buddy. He was not having it, and I was like, all right, well, we'll see. My wife uh, uh, left. She went to the store, went grocery shopping, came back. <laughs> we were in the exact same position. <laughs> it's like two and a half hours. Now, is it really that important that my son eat that tiny little piece of spaghetti? Like, is there some nourishment that's going to come from that tiny little piece? Well, no, of course not. But he's learning in that moment that when he digs his heels in and chooses not to obey, that dad's not gonna give up and give in. These are the things that the kids need to learn. A kid needs to learn that, uh, that there are expectations and understand that a certain behavior or discipline is gonna lose them their phone the same way every time. And it changes over time, but we're after the heart, not behavior. Instruction is much the same way. If the discipline is the not like this part with consequences that are equal to the action, then we recognize that instruction, the instead like this part, ought to similarly be targeted at the heart. Have a conversation to go, here's why what you did was not right in the eyes of God. And I know you don't get that yet, but let's talk about it. That it's rooted in God's word. It's not that I don't like this, although there are times when we say, here's where our family has drawn these boundaries, and this is a good principle when we've chosen that, but you're rooting that in God's word. It is consistently dispensed, and it is relational with each and every child. I heard it up here this morning already. It was beautiful. Uh, one of the primary uh, passages in teaching on this is Deuteronomy 6. And there's this uh, uh, intensity that I love about Deuteronomy 6 because in that it says, uh, be teaching all these things, the, the commandments, the statutes of God, essentially what we would now refer to as the scriptures, be teaching them what God has said and commanded uh, when you are at home and when you're not at home. That's everywhere. And when you lie down and when you rise. That's all the time. And so Moses, as he's teaching, he's like, yeah, everywhere and all the time. And so there's this idea of this scheduled time to instruct, but also the unscheduled, unprompted, hey, we're just talking about this as we go. And the beauty of Deuteronomy 6, and I think I miss this a lot. I would just encourage you to turn there if you've got it. But Deuteronomy 6, verse 20 says this. When your son asks you in the time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Did you catch that? 
when your son asks you in the time to come, I put a lot of pressure on myself as a parent. I'm guessing that you do too. And sometimes I evaluate how well the instruction's going by how well they're receiving it in the moment, which is a terrible plan. I'll be honest, uh, it's a little bit easier for me to stand up here and craft a message and sit with all of you and say, hey, here's what the word of God says than it is to be like Saturday morning, hey, let's gather around the table and talk about God's word. And I got middle schoolers who are like, hey, can we talk about fantasy football instead? And the reality is I'd probably rather talk about fantasy football. But you dispense the instruction, you teach them from God's word, not because you expect them to get it in five minutes. They won't. I don't. But do you see what it says? Deuteronomy 6.20. When your son asks you in the time to come, the encouragement of that regular scheduled time isn't that each time is going to be amazing. The heavens have opened insight and wisdom. Most of the time I'm fumbling my way through it. But we're establishing something. We're saying we're a family that loves the word. And even when they don't get it, and so often they don't get it, you're sowing those seeds that you pray that Jesus Christ waters that the Holy Spirit grows. And sometime when you're driving home from a soccer game, the question's gonna be, hey dad, remember a couple of years ago when we were talking about this? I've just been thinking about that a lot lately. You think that's random? That's the Holy Spirit. You gotta think of it like food. As your children grow, as they age, as they develop, our parenting changes. When they're young, you uh, are more directive and then you're uh, giving uh, uh, more uh, guidance and direction and then you, you move into developing and releasing. And it's just like food. When they were a baby, they took bottles. Then you move into those gross puff things <laughs> that just dissolve. It's, oh, it's the worst. I stick to everything. I'm like walking down the street. I got a puff right here. I'm like, oh, look at this. And then they move into those, the baby foods. <laughs> Some of those combinations, y'all. I'm like, oh, gosh. Sorry, kid. Apparently, it's good for you. And then they start eating table food. And then you're making them more complex foods. And then... Then, then they shift back to uh, the only thing they ever like is peanut butter and jelly or grilled cheese. And you're, you're teaching them how to make that for themselves. And then at some point, you're launching them off into the world. And you go, you're going to have to feed yourself at this point. Paul is telling us to nourish our children. We understand that physically. You don't feed a 20-year-old puffs. And if you take a 20-year-old to St. Elmo's and he's like, I'll have the, the puff. <laughs> Something went very wrong. But it's the same thing with the spiritual food. 
It starts with you singing ridiculous songs in silly voices that have God's truth at them. Just trying to get a smile, but the things you're singing are true. And they're true of the Lord. You move on to board books that are like the simplest form of doctrine. and Maybe some of you need that, but uh, it's just, just simple. Jesus loves you. It's a simple concept. But I'm still learning to understand that. You move on to story Bibles, so you get to see the whole path of God's redemptive story. And you move into simple verses. Let's talk about this. Just that, just this right here. Let me explain this to you. Let's talk about that. Maybe they get their own Bible. They start having a regular time together, encouraging your children to memorize scripture that they don't understand, but that you know the Holy Spirit will draw back to them that they need so desperately. You spend some time around a table or uh, uh, at night at the bed or wherever it is and you're uh, looking and observing things. What do you think that means? What do you think that means? Oh, look at that. Here's how I've seen that. How have you seen that? And you're starting to, uh, they're starting to get it. They're starting to do it themselves. Before you know it, they're teaching you. If your kids don't eat food, they're physically starving. If your kids aren't spiritually fed, they're spiritually starving. Teach them, train them, nourish them, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And listen, if you don't know how to cook, start there and bring them along with you. As we uh, round the final turn and head out this morning, I know some of you are thinking, hey, 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 hey. Give me some practical stuff. I need some tips. No. <laughs> I'm going to throw the yellow flag on that. That's a football reference for those of you that don't know. All the practical tips in the world are just that. They're tips. You already have every single thing you need. You have a savior who loves you and sacrificed for you. You have the Holy Spirit who leads you and who guides you. You have God's word that has revealed who God is and instructs you. And you have a community to bear your burdens when it gets hard. So if you're sitting there and you're thinking, man, I really wish my house should look like this. And so, in so many ways, that should is just a comparative guilt that doesn't change anything. That should has to change to a must. If you're thinking that some structure on a sheet of paper is going to change your family, stop it right now. The should has got to be a must. It has to be a deep, convictional, committed resolve. The kind of resolve that runs through brick walls to see Christ formed in your children. The kind of resolve that goes to bed spent and exhausted and begs to get up for the opportunity to do it again tomorrow. 
Listen, if the problem is informational, we got you. We'll help you. But if the problem is motivational, don't go looking for a resource. Get down on your knees and beg that the Holy Spirit would give you the strength and energy and conviction to do this every single day. But most of all, see Christ. Pursue Christ, Christ first, Christ always, Christ at the inner, full stop. Lord, it is a lofty burden to be a parent. To see Christ formed in our children. To make disciples. Lord, it can be challenging to teach a kid how to follow you when we aren't following you. God, help us to start there. Lord, let us be a body of Christ that trains and instructs, that disciplines and loves, that listens and cares and guides and deploys followers of Christ. Lord, but we know that that starts with you. Our hearts on you, our minds on you, our spirits and aligned with you. Holy Spirit, convict us. Holy Spirit, guide us.